Welcome to the John Harrison Podcast. Do you realize that 70% of people are disengaged at work? I don't think it's an overstatement to call that a tragedy, actually, because it affects the bottom lines of organizations, certainly, but it has a negative impact on all the people that work there, and their families, and the community at large. Nobody's talking about this. Well, on this podcast, we are going to talk about it. So welcome to the John Harrison Podcast. I'm excited today because I've got both a good friend and client uh, with us uh, by phone, uh, Robbie Robinson. I'll let Robbie tell his story a little bit here in a minute, how we got connected, just his professional, personal background a little bit. And then I just have a a real life topic, like all of our podcasts that I want to chat with Robbie about. So Robbie, with that, thank you for being here and just tell us a little bit about your story. Thanks, John. I'm definitely humbled and honored to be here today. Um, so a little bit about me. My name is Robbie Robinson. Um, kind of have a unique background. I um, spent the first 18 years of my life in Germany. Um, and it was there where I was really kind of uh, first learned about the values of diversity, inclusion, and adaptability. Um from there, I went to college at Florida State, did undergrad and graduate school there. Um, and then I embarked on my professional career. I moved up to the Washington, D.C. area and uh, worked for a couple of federal agencies up there. I started with the Department of the Army, and then I moved on to FEMA. And at both of those agencies, I was primarily in administrative support type roles. Um, I like to say I was a jack of all trades and master of none. And I think that's probably still the case today. But um, from uh, FEMA, I moved out to Jefferson, Arkansas. And this was my first kind of leadership role. Um, I accepted a position with the Food and Drug Administration's National Center for Toxicological Research. So that was my real first exposure to leadership about 13 years ago. And um, it was a great experience, learned a lot. And of course, uh, through my position there, got to uh, get connected with you and your team. And, um, you know, we did some great things there. And then uh, about, gosh, about 90 days ago, um, I started here in my current position as the Deputy Executive Officer at the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences in the Raleigh Durham area. So I moved from Let's see, Germany to Florida, Florida to D.C., D.C. to Arkansas, and uh, then about uh, three months ago from Arkansas to North Carolina. So it's been quite the experience. Love that those kinds of stories, and I know every stop along the way you learn new things and um, mistakes that we've all made along the way, which I talk a lot about in our sessions, that half the curriculum I wrote were just because of things I wish I knew. So always uh, appreciate your perspective and your humbleness about things. So with that, with everyone just hearing your story, so really regardless of what level you are, but you've moved a lot and I did too, but, but even, you know, your, let's say your last couple moves, you moved to Arkansas now you're moving to North Carolina. So what would be your, your tips um, in terms of both understanding the culture you're walking into um obviously just meeting people and, and how that's gone well, but also maybe some things not to do when you're the new person. If we can just, and I'll throw some things in here as well, but cause we've got, that's happening a lot more today, right? You know, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, people weren't moving as much. They weren't changing jobs as much, let alone changing 
geography, which is now very, very common. Um, so what, what would be some, some tips you would share with our listeners about how to make that be as successful as possible when you change positions? It's such a great topic, John. Um, and like you said, I experienced it moving first from the D.C. area out to Arkansas and then here lately from Arkansas, North Carolina. But I would say probably the three biggest pieces of advice that I would give would be to number one, just take time and learn the culture where you're at. I mean, it's so, um, you know, as a new leader, you come into the organization, you, you feel like you have to make your mark. You have to implement some changes or move some things around or shake some things up. But I would just caution folks um, and just let folks know that give yourself time to get to one of the culture, one of the organization. Every place is different. Um, and it just takes time to learn that. The second piece of advice I would give would be to get to know the people. And nowadays, I think there's an added layer of complexity to this with folks working remotely. So when I moved out here, even though I'm in the office most almost every day, um, a lot of the folks I work with, they're all remote. And so that really, really makes it hard to, uh, to get to learn work styles, to really kind of get beyond the surface and really get to know the team. Um, so that's been challenging, but, um, I would just encourage folks at every chance you get, ask open-ended questions, get to know the folks that you work with, um, take the time to do that because I think it pays huge dividends down the road. In that case, did you actually schedule virtual meetings that were really just about, Hey, tell me about your, just like we did with you. Tell me about your background. Tell me about your family. Tell me about whatever. I did. So I have recurring um, biweekly, just one-on-one meetings with everybody that uh, directly reports to me. And I use that time not only to talk about work-related stuff, but then just to get to know them, asking questions about their family, about their, their life, about their work style. These are things I can't really observe because a lot of folks are in the office. So I try to use that time to really kind of get beyond the surface and get to know my team. No, that's great. Okay, go ahead. Number three, what'd you, what do you got? Uh, so number three, and this is one I am... Um, <laughs> I'm actually learning and maybe struggling a little bit myself with um, is giving yourself grace. Um, I think it's so easy as a leader to come into an organization thinking you know everything about everything and you realize that, hey, there is so much I don't know and so much I need to learn. Um, And so it's easy to kind of be hard on yourself or beat yourself up. Um, So I would just encourage folks, um, if you're changing jobs, if you're coming into a new organization, just to give yourself grace, allow yourself, you know, the humility of making mistakes or making a bad decision or not doing something just right. Um, you know, just, just be patient and things will eventually work out. Yeah, I love that. And, and similar to what you just said, when I, you know, a lot of my career was taking over facilities that were struggling and I was the new plant manager, director, whatever. And of course there was instant, uh, either cynicism by people, who's this guy, especially because I came generally from far away. So I came from the U.S. to Australia or Australia to Japan or uh, even Japan to Little Rock. And there's always this, who is this person now? I'm, I'm no longer young, but when I was young, they were like, he seems too young for this job or he doesn't have the, the resume that I was looking for. And you can easily, like you said, you can start to doubt yourself a little bit. Or the other side of that, as you mentioned, is to come in like the new sheriff in town 
and we're going to just change a bunch of stuff. And, and usually I was sent to facilities that were struggling. So I, I had <clears throat> in my brain some urgency that said, we've got to fix this thing quickly. But, you know, I, I had to learn over time, just like you said, the first thing, sometimes it was just even 90 days before I made any real change. I, I went and worked on the shop floor and learned people there. I met people in the office, just just really observed for a while. And, and then in getting, when the relationships started to get formed, then I could say, hey, what are we doing well here? What could be better? And a lot of times then when I played that back to either my direct report team or the entire team, I could say, you know, in the first, I've been here about two, three months now, and here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that we, we're not great at communication. We're struggling on getting parts, you know, to build our machines or whatever, whatever people were telling me. And then I think they felt like, oh, he was kind of just listening to us for a while. He didn't come in here and try to fix everything. And then when, when there was relationships built like that, then I could say, does everybody agree that we should do a better job of X or should, or it seems like there's some mistrust in the organization. And I set, in part of our the VIP way, I'd set clear expectations on behavioral components. And all of a sudden now, everyone agreed with that. And if I did have to make changes, it wasn't like, again, just day and night, I'm, I'm getting rid of people or procedures or policies or reorganizing the whole organization without people thinking, you don't even know who, who we are and what we do really like why are you coming in like you know ton of bricks kind of thing so I, I love what you said is and that's hard because you have been successful in your career because you get things done and you're organized and you want things to be better so the tendency could be to let's get that done in the first 30 days as opposed to taking time and that's i think that's really good advice yeah i think one of the um one of the things, and you mentioned kind of wanting to come in and get things done. One of the things I tried to focus on when I first got here um, was maybe not trying to change, make big drastic changes, but maybe focus on some low-hanging fruit, you know, something small that I could could implement or change that wouldn't cost anything, wouldn't be really that disruptive, but it would at least kind of help make small improvements, and that would number one, make me feel a little bit better that I, I was doing something and getting something accomplished. And then two, maybe it was something that was kind of a small thing or a relatively small thing, um, but was something big and important to uh, to somebody else. Somebody has a computer issue that they've been struggling with for a while and they, they couldn't get, maybe they couldn't get IT to fix it. And so um, coming in and, and, and getting that fixed, it was a small thing, but I think it um, pays huge dividends down the road. Yeah, it's amazing you said that because that's very similar. Like I would when when I would go work on the shop floor, I would see situations where <clears throat> something as simple as you know people on the, on the shop floor had chairs or stools, some of which looked like they were from the 1930s, and were you know one leg was shorter than the other three, and I was like, this is you know this is not good. And and frankly, we were in a lot of facilities I took over were in financial distress, so I knew there was certainly some pressure to not spend any money but I thought kind of to your point these a little thing might make a huge difference and we would change out people's chairs when I got to Australia they had coffee machines on the shop floor that were free actually which was very common in Australia like there was no you didn't have to put money in it but the coffee machines and I was not a coffee drinker at that time but if I was I certainly would have drank the coffee because it was rusty looking just terrible and I went to my boss after I'd been there a couple of weeks and I said, I'm, 
just letting you know, here's some things we're going to do right away. We're going to replace some chairs. We're going to get new coffee machines. And again, we were bleeding money at this point, but he trusted me enough to say, I get it. Like, you know, just go do what you have to do. And it was amazing. Like even just the coffee machines, if people were cynical and thought I was there to close the plant or whatever, then they were like, well, that's pretty cool. Like we've been struggling with these crummy coffee machines for 10 years. And again, some of you that are listening to this right now are not the ultimate decision maker. You might not be able to, to spend money, so to speak, beyond a certain level. But even if you're a, a supervisor in the front lines, just little things might make a difference when you take over. First of all, just meeting with everybody one-on-one, -on -one, kind of like Robbie's doing, and just say, hey, I'm, you know, as the new supervisor here, I want to know what's on your mind, what's going well, what could be better. Anything like that where people are almost surprised to the point of, wow, I didn't expect that. I thought this person was like this, or I'd heard rumors about him, or I knew nothing about this person. I can't believe that the first couple of weeks, all they did was meet with us and chat. So some of it could be, yeah, spending money, fixing someone's computer, but a lot of it could be just hanging out with people. And usually if you can, if you can surprise people in those ways, then it's much easier to get them on board for other things down the road. So you're a hundred percent right. And I think um, nowadays everything is done or so much of our work is done over email that I'm, I'm kind of old school in the way I like to pick up the phone and talk to folks and have that interaction because I think that goes a long way in, in building those relationships and building that trust that is so key and important. Yeah. Love that. How about any, in any part of your life when you were the new person, how about the flip side, like things that you did that you wish man, I shouldn't have done that. Or now that, now that I'm have a little more, you know, gray hair and wisdom, like now I know as you're a new person, don't ever do X. Do you have any stories like that? I think, um, probably my biggest, uh, biggest mistake I made coming in as a new person, as a new supervisor to a new organization was just feeling like I had to do it all. Um, I'm, I know when I first, uh, came out to Arkansas and, and began working at NCTR, I was coming into a really tough situation where the person who held the job before for me, um, she ended up resigning. It was really, really bad circumstances all the way around. Um, and uh, we were understaffed. And so one of the things I felt like I needed to do was work extra to try to pick up the slack and make up the difference. And what I quickly realized was that I was getting burnt out. I um, was staying late. I was coming in early, working over the weekend. And, um, you know, that pace is fine for a while, but then, you know, it eventually catches up with you. And so what happened was I was working so much that when I would show up to work, I wasn't, I wasn't my full self. And um, I was tired all the time and, and my performance started slipping. And so I think for me and, and the advice I would give others is, um, to really kind of just be mindful of that and um, not try to tackle the world at one time and, and give yourself grace, be patient, um, and, and just know yourself and, and try not to get burnt out too and move too quick, too fast. Oh, I love that because your heart was right. You were trying to help. You you know, you know weren't <clears> – <throat> there was no ill intent behind what was going on, but it ended up putting yourself in a, in a tough position and not at your best. Yeah. yeah. And that – and again, I think we are so – we're so wired that we want first impressions to be great. 
and especially if it's a promotion. And so we probably err on the side of, again, let's get a bunch of stuff done. I'm going to show them I'll be here till midnight. I'll be responding mm -hmm. to text messages at two in the morning, whatever. Like I'll, I am fully, you know, totally on board. And again, I would say for new people or people that are new to positions or certainly new to companies, new bosses, these are all good things just to chat about. Like, hey, I'm really excited. And you could even, I think another thing that uh, new employees can do, especially in leadership, is to say, here's kind of my 90-day plan. Does Not to the nth degree, not to, you know, 100 statements, but over the next 90 days, here's what I want to do. I want to get to know the people. I want to understand their frustrations. I want to understand our customers. I want to, and so even if your boss says, well, hey, I love that, but I'm telling you, we have to solve this one problem right now. Like we don't have 90 days to wait on that. At least you know where you stand. You can also talk about what's your expectations in terms of availability. Like, do I need to be on call basically 24 seven? And there, we have some clients that they might go, yes. And we told you that in the interview or no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going to bother you after five o'clock. Don't worry about that. Like a lot of that, I think the other thing we kind of jump in with two feet and we don't understand that. And that'd be one thing that I, I think I wish I would have done a, a few of my jobs was my, I came in as the new plant manager and my boss was also new and I really didn't know his or her style. And just asking some questions up front might've helped with that instead of kind of learning on the job, so to speak. So I, I love that. And again, like always on these podcasts, we, you know, we can't solve all these issues in 20 minutes or so, but, but I think a big part of the VIP way, we always say this is get awkward early. Don't let things fester. So if you do come in, in a new position, and again, in Robbie's case, changing jobs or, you know, organizations, geography, like if there's anything that's uncomfortable or you're, you're frustrated or a little stressed, please talk to somebody about that. And that includes us if you want to call us because we always tell you like we're, we don't charge for these one-off conversations. If there's something we can do to help with a transition, please just don't take that on yourself because eventually your your family, your, your performance, as Robbie said, all might suffer. So that's the first part of this today. I just wanted to kind of surface some best practices for being a new person. But the, the other part of this, Robbie, I'll just, I'll just throw this out, is um, the fact that you're working in a regulated industry, right? You're in the government. And I would say about half the facilities that I managed for Caterpillar were union types of facilities. So different than the government, but also certainly some, some structure and things like, you know, bargaining units and arbitration and other kind of levels of complexity. So... In your world, in the, in the government world, some people might say, well, I don't, you can't really change the culture in the government because you have to get a million signatures or there's so much red tape. Or So people that are in those industries that are a little bit more regulated, what, what advice would you give to them on to not give up? And what, what, what are some successes you've seen in that world? Yeah, no, excellent, excellent questions. I think, um, you know, even though I do work in the federal government, um, we have we have unions as well. And um, I think one of the one of the tips that I would offer folks is to um, approach things from a from a collaborative standpoint. Um, for example, we have a number of initiatives here at NIEHS that we're in the process of rolling out. Um, one of them being a mentoring program. And so as part of this program, it's not something that just management is, is dictating and rolling out to everybody, but it's something that's being developed in partnership with our local union. 
And so doing that, you know, we get input from employees, we, we get input from, from everybody who's involved. And we also build that partnership and that trust with our union partners, which is very critical in getting not only programs like this off the ground and running, but future programs and negotiations going. Um, and I think a lot of these things that we've talked about so far today really, really tie back to trust and trying to build that and maintain that. Yeah, it's ultimately, and, and I always say this, and we'll just be frank, right? I, I understand completely around the world why why third party slash union slash whatever started. It, those things generally started because organizations weren't taking care of their people, to be honest. And so right. then, then a third party comes in and says, well, we, we can, we'll take care of that for you. Let us represent you. And so, so I would clearly, you know, say there are places for unions. Most union people are good folks trying to just take care of their families and do good work. And of course you hear the stories of, you know, the, the fringe, and that's true in all of our society that, that have, have caused issues and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, as Robbie just said, whether you've, whether it's a union situation or just a, a, a heavily regulated industry where it may not even be union, but there's so many rules and regulations, it still comes down to trust and relationships and and certainly uh, holding people accountable in a consistent manner because in, in, in some regulated environments, you know, this could be even in academia where you go, well, they've got tenure and we can't do anything about that person. We can't, you know, I would not let those things become crutches because I'll say um, one of my first jobs that I had in leadership, I had, it was a union environment and I had a, uh, vice president, my boss pulled me aside and he said, you're young and I know that's going to be tough for you, but I, I trust you. And he said, you, you need to do the right thing regardless of any potential barriers or things that might happen or arbitrations or all this stuff that can happen in all kinds of industries. And frankly, that was such good advice because, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's, again, a right to work state or a union state, what, like generally organizations as a whole, leaders as a whole, do not do a very good job of setting clear expectations and then holding people accountable to them. So right. I, I do think in some other more highly regulated industries, people think, well, I'm not, it's, it's too much work. Like if I put this person, if I talk to them about their performance or I put them as a below expectations on their performance, that's just going to turn into a bunch of hassle. So forget it. I'll just put them as meets expectations and be done with it. And I think that is incredibly dangerous because there's really more risk, in my opinion, of, of letting that stuff go, whether it's poor behavior or poor performance, than dealing with a situation that might bubble up and, and you know, have some extra complexity to it. But, but that's, you know, from a leadership point of view, regardless of what those extra hurdles are, whether it's, again, third parties or just, again, highly regulated, it could be in the medical field where there's all kinds of, you know, checks and balances and red tape and don't. Don't let those things uh, dissuade a leader from doing the right thing and, and holding people accountable. You're so right about that, John. And I think one of the other things, too, that I've learned over my time in leadership is that, you know, you know, take, a, take an example where an employee really isn't measuring up from a behavior perspective, not addressing that. Um, you know, if you avoid that, you may, sure, you may avoid some additional paperwork, some additional headaches, some additional difficult conversations. But what you're also doing is the rest of the team is having to deal with that instead. And so if you care about your team, if you care about your workforce, 
And part of doing the right thing is, is really addressing those problems head on and not, um, not avoiding them. Yeah, exactly. And I certainly have been, this is true in every industry, not just regulated industries, but I've, you know, I've talked to leaders in the, in the past and they said, well, I tried to do the right thing. I documented, I did this, 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 and this, and I thought we should terminate the person and human resources reversed it. And they said, yeah. well, we can't do that. And then people get frustrated. And I understand the frustration, but ultimately I would still not let that dissuade you from doing the right thing because it, you know, the la- the worst thing you could do in that case is just throw your hands up and say, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. It's always going to get reversed and whatever that, that obviously is not always the case. And sometimes there's more reasons behind the scenes why that, that decision had to be changed, reversed, whatever. But um, the point of that is what I've seen Robbie do myself just personally is because of his demeanor, because of his uh, consistency and his heart uh, that I've seen him just in, again, in difficult situations overcome that. And I know that's what's happening right now in his new job. And, and this is the part when we go through our nine expectations in our training and there are things in there about knowing your people and foster a positive work environment. And I understand some people that come into supervision, those are the not their favorite things to do. They want to get stuff done, so to speak. And so I'm just being honest with you that I think you will get more things done if that's what your drive is, which most leaders won't have to get things done. You'll get more done if you do it in a way that brings people with you than if you just dictate. And that, that I think, especially in America, that seems, you know, sometimes this relational stuff can seem warm and fuzzy. And it's like, well, we don't have time for that. We just get, you know, we just, my way or the highway, we get stuff done. And I think, Robbie, I'm just telling you, I think you're a, a classic example of you get stuff done, but you do it and people are with you and happy to do it along the way. So uh, thanks for sharing time with us today. Honored uh, to know you, and you've taught me as much as hopefully that we've taught you in our time together. But uh, wishing you well in the new job. But again, thanks for sharing some of your wisdom with us today. Thanks, John. More than happy to do it. And um, yeah, no, this has been a great session. And again, a very, very relevant and timely topic. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or thoughts about today's episode or even ideas for your future episode, you can contact us through our website at johnharrisonvip.com or follow us on any of our social media platforms.